Well, this weekend is a special weekend, especially in the life of believers. This is the weekend, traditionally, the evangelicals and Christians from all over the world gather together, celebrate the cross. And so they talk about the cross, they celebrate what Christ did for us on the cross, and then next weekend, traditionally, we look at the, the resurrection and the new life. I'll be starting a brand new series, All Things New, and so we'll look at how, how Jesus dealt with Nicodemus, the religious guy, and the things that he spoke into his life, and that'll start a brand new series. But today, we're going we're gonna to look at this issue, we're going to look at the issue when Jesus gathered his disciples around, and it would be the last time that they would take the Passover, the Seder meal together. And so the disciples didn't get that. The disciples didn't understand that. Jesus knew it. Jesus understood. And so with this meal, that Jesus would make this meal a little bit differently as he starts overlaying the, the, the gospel, the new covenant, and uh, as he was communicating to them. And, and they'll get it that this was a little bit different. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 26 is where we'll be. Bibles, your electronic devices, whatever device you have to get the word. We want to we understand this at a deep level. My prayer for you today is, is that you come away from our time together understanding communion. Understanding the reason that we take the Lord's Supper, we take it once a month here, uh, the first weekend of every month, and we do baptisms, we do the Lord's Supper. We've changed it this month, and factually, fact is, next month will be a little bit different as well. The first weekend back after Easter, we are planning a ginormous uh, amount of baptisms. And so if you haven't been uh, biblically baptized and you would like to explore that, then you can put that on your Connect card. You can talk to Pastor Dwayne, but he'd be the one to talk to. So Jesus gathers his disciples around for this meal. And here's what the scripture says. He said, now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? And so he said to them, go into a city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them. And they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, Jesus reclined at the table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one and to one another, Is it I, Lord? And so Jesus answered them, He who has dipped his head in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who betrayed him, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, Judas, you have said so. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for, the many, for many for the forgiveness of sins. And I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this afternoon. And Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, we thank you of this moment and this time. And so, Father, we just ask simply that you speak to us directly from your word, that, Father, we, we walk away from here in just a few minutes, not only observing communion together as a church family, but 
understanding what it really means at a deep, deep level. And may, as we walk out and as we go through this time, may we know that we have met from, with you and we have heard from you. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in just a few minutes at the close of the service, we're going to take communion together. And, it, and so it's more than just the elements that were, that were on the table. All, all the elements that the disciples pr- uh, prepared, all the elements had deep, deep significance. And so this is, this is one of the most important meals in human history. And so Jesus was going to lead them through the Passover. He was going to lead them through the Seder. And this would be their last meal together. fact is, when you look at this and you understand the Passover, you understand that this meal is the longest celebrated meal in human history. For well over 3,500 years, a year after the Exodus, a year after the Passover, this meal has been celebrated annually. And so Jesus would take his disciples and he would gather them together and he would begin leading them through this. Now, now the order of this comes out of the Torah, or, or the, the elements on the table come out of the Torah. Um, and Jesus would begin to lead them through this. And they would use a book, or we use a book called the Haggadah. And so this is my Haggadah. It's in Hebrew and in English so that I can read it and so that I can understand it. A Haggadah simply means this, telling your children, telling your son. And so they would use a Haggadah that, that set forth the order of the meal so that they would be able to communicate to your children and tell your children when they ask, why is this night different than any other night? Why are we eating unleavened bread this night? What is, what is different about this night? That this would be the way, this would be the order of the night. The Haggadah comes out of Exodus chapter 13, 8 that says, you shall tell your son, the Haggadah right there, on that day. It is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And so they would sit around a meal and they, or a table and they'd have a full meal together. And we're not going to have the full meal together this afternoon But we are going to take of the bread and we are going to take of the juice so that we understand what Jesus was communicating to them and what it meant. Exodus chapter 12 verse 8 gives them and us the the things that were to be served or the things that were on the table. And so he says, so Exodus says this, they shall eat of the flesh that night. Roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat. So there were several things that were supposed to be on the table, part of the meal. The first thing is this was unleavened bread. And you're going to understand later why it was unleavened bread and why it had to be unleavened bread. The other thing is it had to be on the table was roasted lamb or a lamb shank. And it was served on the table. Now here's an interesting thought and just want to give this to you. That Can you imagine this? That here the disciples are with Jesus and Jesus is leading them through this and they have roasted lamb on the table and they have the lamb of God seated at the table with them. Listen, let me tell you something. Everything in the, New T- in the Old Testament pointed towards this day. Everything in the Old Testament pointed, pointed towards a Messiah, the one that would come that would, be, uh, t- t- that would take away their sins and give, give them the forgiveness of sin. And so everything pointed to this time. And so they'd have to have unleavened bread, They'd have roasted lamb. They would have bitter herbs. And, uh, and so it'd be something that was so spicy that when they took of the bitter herbs, that it would, it would, just, it would, it would burn them. It would, it would bring tears to the eyes, and they would, they would understand the pain, and we'll understand what that means later. Uh, there was a lady in our church for a number of years, and she's deceased now, but she had a twin, and she was a, she was a Jewish Christian, and, and her and her sister went through the Holocaust. And she, she was in a concentrating, concentration camp with her twin sister. 
And so we got to be friends with her attending this church. And even in the latter days of her life, she was in a, in a rest home. And, and I would go and I, I would just talk to her about the Seder and about the meal. And, and, and she would talk about what it was like in a concentration camp, what the Holocaust was like. What it was like the night that she saw her twin sister starve to death and die. How that even in a concentration camp and even in difficulty, how they'd just try to figure out a way to do the Passover and, and to celebrate that moment. She would talk what it meant when she came to the U.S. and she met Christ and how the, this meal just came alive for her. To where she realized that everything that she had been doing from a child all the way up had been pointing towards Christ and pointing towards this Messiah. And so they would have bitter herbs and they also would have, have parsley. And at some point in the meal they would take the parsley and they would, they would, they would dip it in salt water. And it was, it was to signify when the living children went into the salty Dead Sea. And so to start the meal that the host of the family, the dad, the father of the family, would stand up and he would give an, of, of an opening that is, that is prescribed. And you can read the opening for yourself if you want to get a Haggadah and, and, and understand what it, what it was. But he would stand up and, and he, would, he would take and pour wine into his cup and then he would pour wine into everybody's cup. And, and um, this would have just great significance. fact is, when you look at it, there were, there were four cups of this meal. And so that's really what I want to focus on this afternoon for us, just to grab what this means, is the four cups, because the four cups come from four redemptive statements out of Exodus. So let me just give you those redemptive statements, and then we'll walk through those, and then we'll take communion together as a church family. So in Exodus chapter 6, verse 6, here are the, here, let's just read this. So therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. Here's the first redemptive statement. Here's the first cup, and I will bring you out. From under the burdens of the Egyptians. And here's the second redemptive statement. Here's the second cup. And I will deliver you from slavery to them. And third cup, third redemptive statement. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. And here's the fourth and here's the last redemptive statement or cup. And I will take you to be my people. And I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So four times they would take of the cup. Four times they would drink of this cup. Four times that they would explain and understand what this means and what God has done for them. So let's walk through these together before we take communion together as a church family. The first cup is this. I will bring you out. The first cup, the first redemptive statement in Exodus chapter 6 is simply, I will bring you out. Now, as New Testament believers, as, as, as Christians, we understand that to be sanctification. See, that's the cup, some will call the cup of sanctification, that God called us out of this world. He called us from a life of sin. He called us from a life when we were slaves to sin, and he called us out, and we accepted him, and we walked towards him. When we brought us out of this world, he brought us out of a life of sin into relationship with him. And so the host would, would pour his cup, and then pour everybody's cup and they would they would sip of that cup and then there was there was things that they would go through and they would move quickly into what is called the washing of hands 
And so the host would get up, the dad, and he'd walk over to a basin and he'd fill that basin up with water. He'd get a a wash rag and he'd walk over. And the family knew what was coming because they did this every year. It's the same with the disciples. And he would go over to them and he he would wash their hands. And so that is the picture. So that is the picture that God washes away our sins. That is the picture that God cleanses us from sin. Now, so Jesus had poured the cup. He was the host with the disciples. He gets up, and then now you understand why it was a shock to Simon Peter, right? So watch this. Let's read it for ourselves. John chapter 13, 4. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God, and he was going back to God, rose from the Seder, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to... He didn't wash their hands. They had their hands out. See, they knew what was coming, right? But all of a sudden they understand this changes everything. Jesus is taking this to a deeper level. That Jesus is trying to communicate some of this. This isn't a normal meal. And so it says that Jesus began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around his waist. So they understood that this changes everything. Now now you can understand why Simon Peter just like freaked out. When Jesus didn't wash his hands, he washed his feet. He said, no, you're not going to wash my feet. I'll wash you. Jesus is Simon. You do not understand this at this time. But the day is coming when you're going to get it. The day is coming when you're going to understand it. And he explained to him what it meant theologically. And that's when Simon Peter said, well, then just don't wash my feet. Just don't wash my hands. Wash my whole body. And then after the washing of hands, that's prescribed in the Haggadah, that the children would begin, the youngest male would begin asking questions. And it's when they'd start explaining the Passover and God leading them out. Why is this night different than any other night? And the host would explain those things. This is also interesting enough when you read the the account, when you read all the gospel stories of the account of this time, this is when the disciples started asking questions. I mean, you can see the Passover and you can see it overlaid with the new, new covenant. And so they would move out of the first cup into the second cup. And again, just like the other cups, the host would take the wine, he would fill his cup, and then he would go around the table and he would fill everybody else's cup. Now the second cup was called this, or the redemptive statement of the second cup, covenant uh, cup was this, is that I will deliver you, that I will deliver you from slavery. And so this cup would be poured, it would be poured around the table, and then they would begin to recite some things. Now listen, we don't know if Jesus followed the Haggadah exactly at this point. And so we really don't know that if Jesus read the things that are prescribed in the Haggadah. But if he did, he would have begun telling the story. He would begin telling the story of the Exodus and God leading them out and all of those other things. And then they would would sing at this point the Danu, which the Danu simply means this, uh, it would have been enough. And so it was a way that they helped everybody at that table to understand God's faithfulness and God's love and God's graciousness and, 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 and everything. And so the host would make a statement, and then they would respond back. It would have been enough. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do this afternoon. I'm going to make those statements as the host, and I'm going to ask you to recite back or make a statement verbally 
It would have been enough. Now listen, those of you that were in faith backgrounds to where you did responsive reading, this is your moment to shine. Okay? This will bring back some memories from the past. Now listen, those of you that you were just quiet in church and you never said anything, you never did any responsive reading, I'm inviting you to just participate. This is like all skate time, okay? And so they would do this as a family. The host would make the statements, and then the family would recite back. It would have been enough. So you get it? You know what you're going to say? Okay. So I'll make the statements, and you respond. Had God brought us out of Egypt and not divided the sea for us? Good. Had God divided the sea and not permitted us to cross dry land? Had God permitted us to cross on dry land and not sustained us? Had God sustained us for 40 years in the desert and not fed us with manna? Had God fed us with manna and not given us the Sabbath and not brought us to Mount Sinai? Had God brought brought us to Mount Sinai and not given us the Torah? And so the host would go on and start saying, How many more things has God done for us and how God has blessed us and it would have been enough? But here's the crazy deal. Jesus is at the table, and Jesus knows it would have not been enough. Had Jesus only been born of a virgin, it would have not been enough. Had Jesus come, and he did, and spoke the very words of God, it would have not been enough. Jesus, if he had only healed the blind, it would have not been enough. If he had only healed the mute to where they could talk, it would have not been enough. All the miracles that he performed, it would have not been enough. If he raised the dead, Lazarus, and he raised the dead, it would have not been enough. Very good. (laughs) See, nobody knew better than Jesus that it would have not been enough, that this day was on the calendar. And this was a great day because it had not been enough. And so the question is, what will be enough? You see, at this point, they would begin to sing praise songs. And, and through the Seder, they would, they would recite and sing Psalms 113 all the way through Psalm 118. They had close of Psalm 126. And so now then, all of a sudden, the second cup is being sipped as they were eating and and, uh, and then Jesus said something interesting in Matthew chapter 26, verse 21. And as they were eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to, one of, to you, one of you will betray me. Now here's the interesting thing. This is the point of the meal when they take of the bitter herbs. And they understand the pain. And I'm telling you, it's bitter. And it brings tears to your eyes. So that they could understand the pain and the anguish. Luke chapter 22 verse 20 says this. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying, This cup is poured out for you as the new covenant in my blood. See, the disciples are getting it. This is a game change. This is something different. He's not exactly following what is prescribed and what we've done all of these years. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. 
For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. And then they move in to the third cup, which is a unique, may seem like a slight change, but it carries great significance. The third cup is this, is I will redeem you. And so this is a very important cup. This cup was taken towards her at the end of the meal. There are really two cup, or four cups, two before and during, and then, and then, then two, two after, afterwards. afterwards. And, and so the host would take and pour all the cups, but Jesus changes. And this time, Jesus only pours his cup. Watch this, Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. And now as they were eating... Jesus took bread and after blessing it, gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat. This is, this is my body. Now listen, we know, and I know some of you have been taught in your faith backgrounds out of church tradition that when you, when you take communion, that the, that the bread becomes the body of Christ and the wine becomes the blood of Christ. And so, I, I mean, I know, I know that's out there and I know it's a church tradition, but when you look at the Scripture, just, just allowing the Scripture. And see, I, I just believe we should allow Scripture to stand on its own without any church tradition. And we should just call it good. And so we can take, and we can just take this Scripture and understand, and we can look at it and say, you know, something doesn't magically happen to the bread, and the bread becomes the body of Christ, and the wine becomes the blood of Christ. And the reason for that is, in this context, Jesus is still living. Jesus is still in the body, and Jesus is still at the table with them. He didn't say this when he was in the Spirit. He said this when he was in the flesh. He said this when he was with them. See, you don't... You don't ingest Christ. Because if, if you believe in that theology, if you believe in that thought, then that's why so many people struggle with salvation. Because the only way to get Christ is to ingest him. The only way to get Christ in your life is by taking a piece of bread that turns into his body and drinking some wine that turns into his blood. And so the reason that people struggle with salvation and how God looks at them and does God accept them is because what happens from the moment you take communion and you take of the body and you take of the, of the blood and you've had a few sins since that time and you die, what happens to you die when you don't take communion right before you take your last breath? And you end up with these sins. That, listen, let me tell you something. Jesus, see, Jesus with the disciples, he didn't pour their cups. He said, I offer you redemption. I will redeem you. But it is not something that someone does for you. It is not a religious ritual. It is not something that someone makes a decision, whether when you're a child and you don't even know the decision they're making for you. It is not something that's done as a ritual. He says, listen, I make you the offer, and I will redeem you, and I offer you salvation, and I offer you redemption, but you have to take. You have to acknowledge. You have to accept. He said, it's offered to you. But you have to take it of yourself. You see, when you look at this cup, you realize that when that you that you realize that Christ is offering them a relationship with Him. See, now it makes sense that you use unleavened bread. Because to break unleavened bread, right, it's like a cracker. You have to break it. 
See, his body was broken for you. It wasn't torn apart. His body was, even the unleavened bread on the table was a picture of Christ on the, cup, on the cross. And that's why when Christ took and didn't fill that cup, but he said, take. See, this wasn't done. There's no indication in Scripture. So interesting. If Jesus sipped of this cup. Matthew 26, verse 39, and so it says, And going a little farther, he fell down on his face and prayed, saying, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Now, so, so okay, so we don't know if Jesus took of this cup. We don't know if Jesus sipped of this cup. But here's what we do know. We know that he lived it. We know that Jesus became the cup. We don't know that he sipped out of this cup. We don't know that he drank this cup. But here's what we do know. He became the cup. Listen, we like to talk about that phrase, Father, let, uh, let this cup pass before me, and like it's a metaphor, like it's a figure of speech. Let me tell you something. This was no metaphor, and this was no figure of speech. He is saying the cup of redemption. I will redeem you. Oh, and remember Exodus that says, how will I redeem you? I will redeem you what? I will redeem you with outstretched arms. He's talking about the cross. Everything in the Old Testament pointed towards this day, the day that Jesus Christ would go to the cross, the day that he would redeem us. How? That he would redeem us with outstretched arms for the forgiveness of our sins. And so he may not have sipped the cup, He may not have drank out of the cup, but he became the cup. He was the cup on the cross for our redemption. And the fourth cup, I will take you to be my people. Oh, and by the way, here's just a cool tidbit. Jesus is waiting till heaven to take the fourth cup with us. He's not going to complete this meal. Hard to imagine, right? Until the marriage supper of the Lamb, Revelation 19, 6 through 10, you can read it for yourself. To when all believers are gathered around at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Some people will call this cup the gathering of people. Matthew chapter 26, 39, here's how he communicated it to his disciples. And he says, and I tell you, I will not drink again of, the, of this fruit of the vine, that's the fourth cup, until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. See, a day is coming when a pastor or church leader will not lead you through this moment in time. We'll be the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And we'll be gathered around that table. And after the meal, the verse says, Matthew chapter 26, 30 says, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, the Haggadah tells us what the last song was they sang. Psalms 118. And so they would begin reciting, they'd begin worshiping, they'd begin singing to Psalms 118. And, and, it's, it's a, and in, in Psalms 118, there is a very, very famous verse that, 
a lot of us have heard, probably most of us have memorized, and, and we like this verse, right? Because it gives us some comfort, comfort, and we may put it on a refrigerator, we may put it on the bumper of our car, we may put it on a bathroom mirror in our office, dashboard, wherever. But this is a much quoted but much understood verse about the context. So in Psalms 118, imagine this, Jesus is, is, knows what's ahead of him the next day, they start reciting, they start worshiping to Psalms 118, and all of a sudden they come to verse 24 that says this, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And when Jesus was singing this, when he was worshiping to this, he understood, he got it, and he knew that the next day he would be giving his life on the cross for our sins. He knew that, you know what, all creation, all time was headed to this moment, that this is the day. This is the day that the Lord has made. What day is that? The day that Christ goes to the cross to redeem us for the forgiveness of our sin, that redeems us with an outstretched arm. See, when we say that, it's not talking about our day. I mean, that may make us comfortable when we say, hey, you know what, I'm having a bad day, but guess what? This is the day that the Lord has made, so let's rejoice and let's be great. No. The context of this is this is that this is the day, Calvary, this is the day that Christ goes to the cross and he redeems his people for the forgiveness of their sins. That's why they would end with Psalms 126.3 that said, the Lord has done great things for us, and guess what? And we are glad. See, there's a big difference, and we've talked about this. There's a big difference in being good and being glad. Good is a condition. Good is something you say, you know what, I'm just good, but But glad is an emotion. Good is something that happens to us. Glad is something that we get it, that we understand, that we receive it, that we we, we change in some areas. And I'm telling you, until you receive it, until you receive him, you really don't know what Christ has done for you. And we are glad because he has set us free. And we are glad because he has forgiven us of sins and, and give, forgiven us of the past and forgiven us of all those bad decisions and forgiven us from everything we've done, that this is the day that the Lord has made. And we shall rejoice and we shall be glad. See, Jesus on the cross becoming the third cup and redeeming his people. With blood dripping down, there was a portion of the meal that the host would take wine and drip the wine on the cloth about sprinkling and forgiveness of sin. And now Jesus, with the third cup, he's on the cross and he's redeeming us with outstretched arms. And blood is dripping down. And then God the Father says, To tell us, die, it is finished. It is done. It is enough. It's enough. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He was the perfect sacrifice. And he went to the cross and the Father said, It is enough. His blood sprinkled on that cross with outstretched arms was enough. And I am glad and I hope you are glad because he is enough. And I am glad because kids don't have to turn out like their parents. And I am glad because our past is not our future. And I am glad because God's mercies are new every day. And I am glad because the evil one will not have the last word in my life and he will not have the last word in your life. And I am glad because the word tells me that our enemy will fall into a trap he has set for for us. And I am glad because Scripture says that, that those that love him and those that walk him, everything happens for a purpose and for good. 
And I am glad because we cannot out Christ's ability to forgive us. I'm telling you. Did you get that? It was plural when he said sins. I will redeem you. I came what? For the forgiveness. Not just one sin, plural. Everyone. And I am glad because we cannot out his ability. And I am glad because one day he is coming back for us. And one day we will gather around the marriage supper of the Lamb and he's the one that will lead us through this time. And I am glad that there is a world coming where there will be no more hurt, no more pain, no more loss, no more sorrow, no more tears. And I don't know about you, but I am glad about it.